Well, hello, folks, and are welcome to We the Peeps. This is, of course, the American Soccer Podcast, in which you're going to get to know everything that you need to know about the women's national soccer team. I am Clayton, and I'm a rapper. I'm Kwame, and I'm a doctor. And we love the Nets. Both men and women. It's We the People. It's We the People. It's we the people. It's we the people. Well, folks, welcome in. Uh, if you are new to the show, this is going to be a uh, She the Peeps sort of continuation, endless mini series. It's the She the Peeps never ending mini series with uh, everyone's favorite soccer doctor, Kwame Kwamdas. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Good to be back. It's been a, been a little while. It sure has. It's been a while. It, it, the last time we got together was for the conclusion of the uh, Women's World Cup, in which, of course, USA took home that troph. Uh, and since then, this show, uh, as it traditionally has been, has been mostly men's team focused, and it's kind of crap dust over there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, some, you know, I guess with the exception of Serginho Dest joining us, it's been destitute, as, as one might say. Uh, however, uh, we have continued to be able to enjoy as a nation, as a sporting nation, the fact that we have the greatest women's soccer team in the world, in the globe. And today is going to be all about just getting a little bit of updates, seeing what they, uh, what, what this team has been uh, doing in the time since we last spoke. Sound good at cheese, Kwame? Sounds good. Okay, cool. There's a lot to get into, but remember... Please do uh, tell a friend, someone, anyone about this podcast. It really does make a difference. Also, tell a friend, tell an enemy, you know, uh, <laughs> next door neighbor. Yeah, tell your mom, tell your, tell your teacher, tell your students. Uh, who else can you tell? One more. Dog walker. Uh, your, I was going to say uh, postal worker, but, uh, dog, you know, dog walker. <laughs> the postal too. worker and the dog walker are like right. somehow on different enemy teams, I think, based on the uh, dog's preference. So. Um, but anyways, tell them both. Also, rate and review. Five stars is what we go for on there. Please do that. It really helps us out. And if you'd like to reach out with your own thoughts and sort of contribute to the discussion, do so on Twitter at WTPpod. Let's uh, dive in, shall we? I think we'll take this in roughly chronological order. How does that sound? Yeah, I think that sounds all right. All right, so let's start um, with with uh, the new coach for this team. So the gentleman by the name of Vlatko Andonovsky, I personally was am aware, let's say, that the, that the team's got a new coach, that Jill Ellis is no longer with us, uh, but I don't know too much more than that. Can you tell me a little bit about how this transpired a few months ago? Sure. So, you know, after the World Cup... Uh, you know, there was a lot of celebration. Jill Ellis, uh, you know, only coached to win back-to-back World Cups. And there was a big question mark of what she would do next. Uh, would she stick around for another year for the, the next big tournament, which is the Olympics, which is in the women's game, uh, women's international game, second only to the World Cup? Uh, or would she step away? And I think most people thought she would stick around, but she decided you know, I've had, you know, I've had my run, I'm going out, uh, going out on top. And so there was a, uh, during the victory tour, which happens, a series of friendlies after, you know, after the World Cup, uh, she, you know, she was coaching that and it was very celebratory. Uh, But U.S. soccer, after her announcement, immediately started looking for uh, a new coach. Um, And the first thing they actually did was hire as a GM for the women's team, Kate Margraff, uh, formerly Kate Sobrero, who had been a longtime um, member of the women's national team, uh, played center back, and more recently had been uh, doing commentary on games for ESPN. She's really smart, really knows the game. So they hired her as the GM, and she uh, was the head of a coaching search. And it seemed pretty clear that they were wanting to most likely bring someone who either out of the NWSL, um, the uh, you know the U.S. Women's League, or potentially out of the women's college game, uh, and then but very quickly it was narrowed down to 
uh, as everyone's basic favorite and the person who they ended up choosing, Vladko Andonovsky. And so who is Vladko Andonovsky? Well, if you are someone who has watched the NWSL uh, for the past several years or maybe only recently uh, after the uh, World Cup, uh, he is um, he's coached in the NWSL for the past seven years after having his own uh, professional career at the lower, you know, sort of levels of, of the men's professional game. He's originally from uh, Macedonia in the former Yugoslavia, played there for a while, came to the U.S. about 20 years ago and played indoor soccer and then transitioned into coaching. And has basically, I think, been a women's coach his entire career. Uh, he's won two championships in the NWSL with Kansas City. Um, that franchise then became Seattle, and he's been the coach of the Seattle franchise. And so has been the coach of Megan Rapino most recently, um, but also has coached several other national team players in the past, Becky Sauerbrunn, a few others that escaped me. Uh, and the scuttlebutt and the rumors as the coaching search was going on were basically that no one had a bad word to say about Vladko Andonovsky, and everyone had a lot of positive praise for his player management, for his tactical acumen, for his kind of dedication, and but also for, you know, telling players like, you know, not not mincing words, like being supportive, but also not doing any sort of politics. You always knew where you stood with him. Uh, and so it became clear that a lot of the players were really in favor of this choice. And he was offered the job and he accepted. So so we've had a couple friendlies, am I right, with this coach? At this yeah, point? so we've had we've had two friendlies. Uh, so pretty much within a couple of weeks of being named to the job, he had two friendlies to coach, which had already been predetermined. Uh, and his first match was against Sweden, who, if you recall, made it to the uh, to the semifinals in the World Cup. Uh, and you know we're a difficult uh, team for the U.S. to play. So and then the so Sweden and Costa Rica and so just given the uh, the the product on the field, is there anything that we can say about what you think this team is going to look like um, in contrast to what a Jill Ellis U.S. team looks like? Well, so it's interesting. So I think what uh, Coach Andonovsky has basically said is that he recognizes the excellence of the U.S. team, and he doesn't want to change it, but he wants to make sure that we continue to progress because the rest of the world is progressing. Uh, and so against Sweden, which is a good test, um, the main thing that stood out was that he tweaked the formation slightly, and we were in a 4-1-4-1 uh, throughout the game with Carly Lloyd at the top, Julie Ertz at the, you know, at the def main defensive midfielder. Uh, and those were... Basically, the, the, the significant little tweak that he made. And it worked really well. We actually were winning the game. We ended up winning the game 3-2, to two, but we were winning 3-0 uh, and pretty much in control. And then there were kind of two quick, fluky goals within five minutes. But then we, we saw the game out uh, pretty comfortably. And then against Costa Rica, uh, you know, we won 6 nothing, uh, and again performed pretty well. So for the Sweden game, I would say, well, for both games, the Carly Lloyd is who really stood out. Mm. Carly Lloyd has talked before and then since uh, Ellis's resignation about how difficult it was. She felt that she really deserved a sort of starting spot and didn't feel like she got like a fair shake exactly. And she was a woman on fire uh, against Sweden, had two goals against Sweden, including an outrageous chip of the goalkeeper um, and also scored within the first couple of minutes against Costa Rica, uh, you know, through ball beats like three people. She just one times it upper 90. And also in that four, one, four, one formation, you know, that lone striker has to do a lot of running and Carly Lloyd at, you know, I think 38 right now, uh, I had questioned based on performances uh, when she would come in the past, if she could do that role, uh, but she was, on it she had a fire under her and i was as impressed as i am by carly lloyd and like her work and everything i was so impressed by how good she looked especially at the end of a long nwsl season let's not forget that these players after the world cup went straight back into season and playoffs and everything so carly lloyd definitely is something that stood out and then i would say in the second game against costa rica 
which is you know a Concacaf team that we uh, are better than in terms of talent wise. Uh, we started to see some new faces a little bit. Um, some of the more veteran players were given kind of a rest, and we saw a couple of people get their first caps. Um, Alana Cook, who is a star at Stanford, and actually is dual eligible for the U.S. and England. Uh, so Ooh. a little, yeah, we don't really see this very often uh, in um you know, in the uh, women's game on the U.S. side. Uh, but I think U.S. mother and English father um, studied at Stanford, I think has played for youth teams for both the U.S. and for England, and I think was invited to an England camp. So given the rise of England, this is someone we actually might have to do a little tug of war for if we really want. So she got her cap against Costa Rica. And then also Midge Purse, um, who uh, was a player for the Portland Thorns, played at Harvard, um, and has is a versatile player that's played both at right back and at striker, which is an interesting combination. <laughs> Alfonso uh, Davies so she got, style. Yeah, a little bit of that. Um, and so she also uh, got her first cap. And then I would also say there were a couple of faces that were a little out in the cold under Jill Ellis that were brought back in. Uh, Casey Short. Uh, who was one of the last cuts before the World Cup and who is, you know, a dedicated uh, fullback and play both right and left back and is generally considered one of the best fullbacks in the NWSL. And then Lynn Williams, who is a striker for the North Carolina Courage, uh, who are back-to-back champions and who has been in the national team picture in the past, uh, is one of those players that was always an athlete more than a soccer player always had struggle could always get in great positions because she is uh without question the fastest player in the u.s pool and i i'm not exaggerating at all with that and you know that let's think about how fast players like Kristen pess and mallory Pugh and uh you know and a bunch of other players are lynn williams has like track speed um but her issue was always that she was never quite a finisher but the last couple of years with the nwsl she's been working with paul riley uh, who's generally considered one of the best coaches and she has really rounded out her game and so i think she had two goals and an assist against Costa Rica, and they were really good quality goals. Uh, so, you know, maybe a little bit of a kind of uh, Raheem Sterling sort of uh, picture, if you can think sure, about it. Yeah, that yeah. when, you know, she's probably taller than Raheem Sterling, but not to knock Raheem Sterling, because <laughs> uh, I think he's probably taller than me too. Um, but, you know, speed to burn, but under Pep, Raheem Sterling has become a much better finisher and there's a little bit of that with Lynn Williams. And so just another person to, to keep in. So that's sort of what to take away from those friendlies. Cool. Yeah. So, um, now, we're, so now we're going into a December, essentially like an uh, identification of talent camp for good old old boy Vladko Andonovsky. Yeah. So it's interesting. So uh, there was a talent identification camp. Uh, and why was it called that? Well, it's called that because uh, none of the uh, none of the players who went to the World Cup are eligible for this camp. Uh, in the last CBA, the players actually negotiated in for themselves a break, because if you think about this past, you know, six months or so or even like eight months, it's really been a whirlwind for them. Like this, So they started the NWSL season in April, and then in June and July, they were at the World Cup, and then they came back from the World Cup right into the NWSL season. But even within the NWSL season, as they were coming to its conclusion and moving to the playoffs, they would leave the NWSL for victory tour games and friendlies, and there were four or five, maybe even six of those. So it's just been nonstop back and forth from club to national team for the past eight months. And these players needed a break, particularly because in January, just a month and a half from now, uh, we have Olympic qualification uh, and there's no room for error. It is CONCACAF. So, um, you know, we are heavy favorites. But if we don't get first or second in that qualification tournament, we don't go to the Olympics. 
and there's a lot of players who went to the World Cup and have been who really didn't feature much for the NWSL, NWSL teams as the season came to conclusion because of nagging injuries. Um, Megan Rapino, Lindsay Horan, Alex Morgan, Rose Lavelle, Crystal Dunn, um, all of all of whom were players who either weren't as effective or missed significant amount of time since the World Cup. Uh, Kelly O'Hara as well, um, who were really just probably really making their way, so kind of surviving through injuries and then uh, really haven't yet made a full recovery. And so they really need this time in order to be at their full sharpness for January. Cool. So we've got a, a fresh new roster here to work with. Yeah. Um, can you point out some some maybe highlights for you from the from the new group? Yeah. So this group it's it is twenty four players, and it's a mix of uh, people players who did really well in the NWSL, um, but who were who are not full national team members. A lot of them were sort of youth national team members and then didn't quite make the leap. Um, and then a lot of them about, so half would fit under that category and then half or so I would say are um, college players. But interestingly, not seniors, um, mostly underclassmen, juniors and sophomores and even a couple of freshmen. Uh, so a real kind of eye to the future, uh, and but players who are being brought in, not it seems like to try to challenge for a spot at the Olympics, but Coach Andonovsky saying, you know, okay, not this year, but two years from now, three years from now, I'm wanting to see you in person. I want to, you know, have a camp where I can work with you. And begin to identify. Um, so a lot of these are names that, if you follow the NWSL, there are names like Bethany Balser, who I think just was Rookie of the Year um, at Seattle, so directly under Coach Andonovsky. Casey Murphy, who was his goalie, um, who was also excellent. Jane Campbell, who's the goalie for Houston. Um, uh, a, a couple of players for the Chicago Red Stars in their midfield who made it to the championship game. Danielle Colaprico is one. So names that would you would recognize if you follow the NWSL. Um, but then a number of college players and the women's college NCAA tournament just wrapped up. And if you were able to catch any of those games, um, there were a lot of exciting players who were called into this camp. Um, Ashley Sanchez at UCLA. Uh, a couple players uh, from Stanford. Sophia Smith, for me, is the standout. She's a sophomore. Um, I had a chance to watch uh, those couple of the final rounds of the NCAA tournament. And she's a sophomore at Stanford and just a uh, fabulous tournament um, for her. So really excited to see her. Um, a few others. Um, uh, Macy Bell also. Uh, uh, oh, so Macy Bell, who is a freshman at North Carolina, a center back, the only uh, freshman to start every game at center back in the history of the U University of North Carolina program, wow. who have had a few good players. And wow. she was ACC Rookie of the Year, and I think either first or second team All-American. And if you see her play, I mean, you know, she looks like, you know, she looks like yeah, a freshman uh, you know, in high school, you know, she's very kind of, you know, she hasn't sort of uh, kind of filled out yet, you know. Um, yeah, in college, uh, but, you mean? But, but, yeah, in college, yeah. But as a freshman, you know, is playing and starting at center yeah. back for the national championship game. Uh, and so she's getting called in to get a look at already. Uh, and then I also want to mention uh, someone who was supposed to be at this camp, uh, uh, Emily Fox, who... Uh, listeners to previous podcasts of She the People. Uh, she was a junior, she's a junior at North Carolina who actually has a few caps with the national team, uh, played against France in France and uh, the last year in the buildup to the World Cup and was a first team All-American. She unfortunately tore her ACL in the quarterfinals of the tournament on this sort of innocuous looking slide tackle. Uh, and, you know, really heartbreaking because she... She was a real, I mean, she's, well, I'm certainly make a comeback. This is actually her second time tearing an ACL. This is the other knee. Um, but she is a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, athlete and player. So um, 
it's just going to be, you know, a year longer before we see her. So the camp just finished up. Um, so faces for the future, but exciting. I got to say, just taking a zoom out on your whole recap that you just gave me for the year. Coach, you know, coach, uh, greatest sort of huge, high achieving coach steps down gracefully. Uh, new coaches, new GM, new coach, all in short order. Uh, you know, the U.S. wins two friendlies and then rests their stars and identifies and broadens the talent pool, CVA or not. This is how a team can and should function, it seems to me. Are you, are you happy with what you're seeing uh, and how, how this transition is being handled? I'm ecstatic. I think that uh, they they really couldn't do it much better. I would say, you know, um, you know, the only good thing that the U.S. Soccer Federation has done from an administrative standpoint is to hire Kate Margraf, who then hired Vladko Andonovsky, because uh, I think that they are really capable of providing really good leadership. And I think that by bringing a player, a coach, sorry, from the NWSL, who is familiar with who is in our professional leagues, but also has spent the last seven years really familiarizing himself with the college game because that's where he has to draft from. Uh, the We have someone who is really aware of the full breadth of the pool of players to choose from for the, t- for the team. And again, not to... This is a show about the women's team. This is an episode about the women's team. But, you know, there have been a lot of stories about how the U.S. team, the men's team, sorry, the U.S. men's team, does a really poor job at looking at the entire pool of this nation. And the women's team is just doing a much better job. Now, it's not to say that they're doing everything perfectly by any means, but I think they're doing a much better job. And so I'm very excited um, about um, what's of what's happening. I think that giving players a rest, identifying um, players who you may need to add to the roster if people um, who are your, your primary stars and veterans of the World Cup still need more time to recover from injury by the time the January tournament kicks off. Um, that's important because I'm not sure the roster size um, that's for the CONCACAF tournament, I think it might be 20 rather than 23 for the World Cup. Um, and uh, these games are going to come thick and fast. Yeah, so before we jump into uh, looking forward, yeah. um, I was wondering if we could just check in real quick on uh, the life of Megan Rapinoe. Um, just, you know, speaking about 2019 and then, and then we'll jump into uh, what 2020 is going to look like. Um, so Megan Rapinoe led this team arguably to the world cup although i personally felt felt like there were other players who made a bigger impact um but you know it's a subjective i think uh you know and she clearly was an important player for the team has has cleaned up almost entirely on a, on player of the year awards uh, including a relatively historic uh espn sports person of the year you know, uh, a female winning the award without having to stand by someone else, I guess, or mm-hmm. without having to team up with another female to win it, uh, is a big deal and a huge deal. And yet, uh, Julie Ertz uh, won the other one. What was the other one? Well, so Julie Ertz won uh, the U.S. Uh, U.S. Soccer Athlete of the Year. Right, right. And um, and but so Rapino got the Ballon d'Or and the ESPN thing, and then Julie yeah. Ertz got us soccer player of the year so mm-hmm. is that messed up is that a, is that a slap in the face where do you stand on that i don't think it's i don't think it's messed up i think that megan rapino uh deserved a lot of recognition for her performance on the pitch in the world cup um you know she scored the most goals uh you know she won a lot the of pks and, just saying you know, a lot of go- a lot of pks right but those are certainly pressure situations uh, and, uh, you know, really, I think, was a lightning rod for the team in a lot of ways. I think both in terms of media pressure and yeah. political pressure and cultural pressure, but then also, you know, penalty kick pressure. And yeah. so I think the fact that she was able to take all of that on lightened the load 
for a lot of the other members of the team. And so the fact that she was able to perform on the field and off the field, I think it makes a lot of sense for her to uh, to be recognized and to get a ton of awards and accolades and recognition for that. Um, I But, you know, the criteria for these different awards is all a little bit different. And I don't know the exact criteria for, um, you know, for U.S., um, you know, for the U.S. Soccer Award. Um, but if it's looking at, um, you know, if it's looking at uh, both play for the national team as well as the club team, um, mm. which you can kind of argue. Um, Rapino uh, missed, you know, a fair amount of time for her club sure. team. Uh, Julie Ertz is also a linchpin uh, of that team. Um, and all as good as Rapino is, uh, there are people who can step in uh, when Rapino is out in her position, uh, we struggle to replace Julie Ertz. Uh, and Julie Ertz had a phenomenal year and her club team made it to the championship game. So I don't, I think as you alluded to, there's a lot of different people who had, you know, a huge impact from that women's team. And if you want to give all the awards to Megan Rapino, I'm fine with that. If you want to say, uh, we're taking an award and we're just looking at play on the field and we think that Julie Ertz uh, just, you know, just noses out uh, Megan Rapino or just noses out Rose Lavelle or, you know, or whoever. I'm I'm fine with that. And I think probably that the team is fine with that as well, because they're just yeah. there's just so many people that are, are crucial to this team. There really are. And, you know, as much as I, I kind of like I'm stoking that fire a little bit in, in yeah. my descent. Um, and as much as I do that, it's it, the way I see it is that she is the face of this World Cup winning team at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. She is the face of this era, this sort of generation of of players and, and has been a part of others. But this was her cycle uh, yeah. in a way that going into the World Cup, it fully could have been Alex Morgan's cycle. You know, there was no it, it wasn't obvious going into the World Cup that Rapino was going to be the one to kind of bear this thing, both on a sporting and on a sort of public life level. Um, so, you know, all respect, all hail, base God, Megan Rapinoe. Uh, it's awesome. But I do, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. Get, get Julie Ertz a little something, spread the love. Um, and maybe now, you know, as you were saying, maybe now uh, Carly Lloyd can, can have a word to say about it as the Olympics come up. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see who, the, you know, the player of 2020 is. I think, yeah. you know, it depends a lot on, I mean, you know, we know that Rose Lavelle, right? She's she's rising fast. Sam Mewis. You know, but yeah, Samantha Mewis. You know, Lindsay Horan, I think, was hampered by injury. Um, Alex Morgan and maybe um, uh, Alex Morgan is also going to miss basically uh, all of this upcoming year. So so another so talking about what to expect. Yeah, for let's upcoming year. let's dive into a little 2020 action. Why don't we? Uh, we've got these uh, qualifiers coming up. No big deal. Uh, looks like we're going to start out versus Haiti, is that correct? And then Panama, yeah. uh, and then uh, Costa Rica, mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, yeah, and that's it. So Yeah, so, and then semifinal and final. So, okay. Yeah, so the games, so, you know, we should win these games pretty handily, although, you know, certainly... You can have one of those games where the ball just doesn't go in. But also the schedule is pretty packed. So uh, the first game is on January 28th. Then we play on the 31st. Then we play on February 3rd. Then And that's the group stage. And then we play February 7th. And then the final is just two days later on the 9th, right? So that's it's tight. That's tight, right? It's that's five tight. games. You know, that's five games in basically, you know, 11 days. Um, that's really, really challenging. So... And I think we can only bring twenty. Although I could be, I could be wrong about that. And the final game is really for pride. Both both teams in that game will go to the Olympics. And so let me ask you, like going into this, what do you see as the difference maker? Um, I I asked you this going into the World Cup, and I think your answer had something to do with the ability to to change formation, something like that. 
Um, in this tournament, uh, what are we? What what we come out on top, first place? What happened? What did we do right? Um, I think that what we did was basically uh, maintain focus and not go in assuming that because we're the World Cup champions that we're gonna that we're gonna just win in a walkover. And um, isn't the reverse the case? Don't don't World Cup champions often have a hard time in the world in the uh, Olympics? Yeah, so there actually has never been uh, a World Cup champion who has then won the Olympics the following year. Um, part of that is I think it is so grueling to win the World Cup, um, and then there is you know it's difficult to to qualify, um, and there's and then with like the club schedules like it's 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 a difficult challenge. But but yeah, so this team, if we were to win the Olympics, we'd be the first to win sort of back to back, and then and then win the Olympics the following year. So I think the qualification tournament, if we maintain our focus uh, and we don't get very unlucky with injuries, uh, you know, we should we should qualify for the Olympics. And that championship game, which we which almost certainly will be against Canada, will really just be, you know, sort of renewal of the old rivalry, you know, to you know, with the neighbors to the north. Yeah. Um, but for the 2020, uh, that is going to be a challenge, right? So we're going to have a new coach. Um, and h- how much can a new coach take a squad that just won the World Cup? How much of his own stamp can he put on the team? Uh, how much does he have? T- how much time does he have to put in uh, a new system? Um, how um you know does if he tweaks things too much does that affect team chemistry and let's also not forget that for the world cup we had a 23 uh person squad for the olympics that has to be cut down to 18 uh and so already as the coach you've got to cut five people right and so the team already knows that coming in i mean it would have been the same even if if coach ellis had stayed but can you bring in new faces if you're already cutting five? I mean, if you bring in two new faces, that means you're cutting seven people uh, from, you know, from a World Cup winning squad. That's pretty, that's pretty bold. Uh, maybe boldness is what's required uh, in order to do what's never been done before, which is to win the Olympics after a World Cup year. But that's, that's a hard thing to do. Um, so I think that that's going to be uh, that's going to be a challenge and a thing to watch out for. Uh, the U.S. I think anticipates as we, uh, you know, doing again like the She Believes Cup and the Algarve Cup. So I think we're going to have some pretty high level friendlies um, this upcoming year, uh, particularly because for for the Concacaf, the U.S. has to do an Olympic qualification tournament, but for uh, for Europe. Uh, they base their qualification for the Olympics on World Cup performance. Uh, hmm. So it's already so the top three teams who in the World Cup, which was Sweden, the Netherlands, and England, those are the teams that are going to to the Olympics. And so teams like Germany, Norway, Spain, uh, you know, Italy, all these teams that we saw on the rise, uh, uh, France. All these teams that are on the rise in Europe are going to be wanting to really challenge themselves and play high-level teams in this upcoming year. And so we'll probably have some friendlies with them in anticipation of the Olympics because they're not going to be participating. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what we learn and what, and what the coach does. Um, and then also one definitive big change is going to be uh, that Alex Morgan will almost certainly not be on that Olympic squad. Uh, and that's because she is currently pregnant uh, and is expecting uh, a child in April. Now, she has said that she is still aiming to be on that World Cup squad. Um, on the Olympic and, squad. On the, sorry, on the Olympic squad. Uh, and the Olympics, I think there's about, depending on when in April she's due, because she hasn't said you know, specific date, nor does she, you know, not, nor should we expect her to. <laughs> nor should she but, ever. <laughs> but if, you know, but if it's the beginning of April versus the end of April and the Olympics starts, uh, you know, basically I think in early July, 
It's just a couple of months. Uh, and at that point, uh, next year, July, she basically would have gone a full year without playing competitive soccer. She basically, I think, had one, one or two games after the World Cup and then suffered a concussion and was out for a while, plus all the other injuries that she probably had during the World Cup. And then, uh, you know, and then her pregnancy sort of precluded her from playing the rest of the NWSL season. So to make it onto that squad without having to play for a a year and never under the new coach... So I think that she's probably not going to be on yeah, the team. Yeah, that, that, that's going to be tricky. I'm all for it. You know, I'm a big fan. Um, would love to see that. And also, you know, would love to see it whenever it happens. If it doesn't, if she doesn't quite make it back in time for the Olympics this mm-hmm. summer, like can't wait for the comeback. However, I'm all for the big turnover. Let's see some, let's see some boldness. Screw it, you know, drop seven World Cup winners. Yeah. Let's, let's see, see a little bit of turnover. I would be I would be excited, you know. Really, I think it depends on, you know, really depends on who on who emerges. Um, so, who do you think if you had? Uh, let's play. Let's let's gamble a little bit here. Uh, Kwame's picks for surprise rise of twenty twenty. Who who you got? I think that we'll see Lynn Williams um, make the roster as a, as a forward. Um, I think Carly Lloyd will obviously make it. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some shakeup in the back line in the fullback positions. I yeah. think we will not see Crystal Dunn there. I think we will probably see uh, Casey Short at left back. I think we'll see Crystal Dunn uh, enter into that very, very crowded midfield. Um, but what we could see is Julie Ertz move into the center back. Uh, we might see... Um, you know, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of competition for the center back positions uh, between, you know, Dahl Kemper and Sauerbrunn, but also now Tierna Davidson. And, you know, maybe does Alana Cook, maybe does Julie Ertz move back? Because I think it's very wide open yeah, uh, yeah. at every position on the field. And also, particularly if we change from this 4 3 3, what happens if we go so let's say we do the 4141 I mean we've only he's only been in coach two games I don't think that he's beholden to that but let's say we see a switch to a 4141 or you know a 442 or other positions do we see Megan Rapino and uh you know somewhat uh reduced in her role on the team because uh maybe the particular role maybe Kristen Press does a little better uh, or yeah. maybe Tobin Heath does it a little better or maybe you want Rose Lavelle wide or you know there's so many questions this team is so deep and uh, I think that there's going to be some hard interesting decisions and I think he's got to choose players based not on what's happened in the past but who is going to give him the most depth for his 18 persons squad that's the key that right? is tournament. to, is to yeah. have the bravery the courage and the the uh, altitude of vision yeah. to make and and to make decisions like that and that might mean that it is the perfect time to switch coaches a new coach can do that a lot easier question yeah. is the goalkeeper position wide open again now that there's a new coach i don't know that it's wide open but i definitely think it's a question mark um the the depth at the goalkeeper position for the U.S. based on NWSL play is ludicrous. I mean, it's, I mean, you have a listener, right? World Cup winning goalkeeper, clutch saves, some holes in her game, but an incredible keeper. Adriana French was like the two-time back-to-back NWSL goalie of the year, beating out a listener for that award. Ashlyn Harris incredible uh you know incredible experience she's also a top class keeper uh and those are the three we took to the world cup but then uh aubrey bledsoe just won the goalkeeper of the year she plays for the washington spirit which were not a very good team her goal was constantly peppered if you watch that team at least once a game and sometimes twice a game you would see her make a save and you're like how did she do that She's just an incredible goalkeeper and athlete. And then the two that are being brought into this talent identification camp, 
Jane Campbell, who's the goalkeeper for Houston, she got called up to the full national team, I think at age 17. She's now 22 or 23, something like that. Um, and then Casey Murphy, uh, who was the goalkeeper for Vlatko with the Seattle Reign, uh, she only got that position because there were two injuries to the goalkeepers ahead of her. And she was incredible. I, th- I actually put her second in terms of my goalkeeper of the year in the NWSL behind Audrey Bledsoe. So one through six, we have a world-class goalkeeper. Um, as has been the case in uh, what we've been talking about over the last couple of years is that there's not a lot of experience within that pool. Um, Alyssa Nair has most of the caps. Ashlyn Harris has you know significantly fewer. Uh, Adriana French has just a couple. And then really after that, there's not there's not much. So this year, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see uh, more caps to other goalkeepers because we do, one, I think the competition is legit. I don't think that uh, if a listener loses her position, it's because she had this big drop in form where you're like, you can't drop her unless, uh, you know, unless she drops. There, there are, there are, each of those keepers has a lot of strengths and some holes in their game. And depending on how Andonovsky wants to play, um, want, wants his keeper, what he wants his keeper to do, we could see, we could see a change, um, you know, injuries, you never know. I'd be shocked if she wasn't on the Olympic squad. Yeah. But I think that it's going to be exciting to see. It's it's open. And I wonder, too, if this is a pick one and stick with it situation. Because the sooner you get someone, some reps, the better. And it, may, it might be that we have six good options. Yeah, I think we definitely do. I, I think, I think um, part of the reason that Ellis went with Nair so consistently over the past couple of years is that she didn't have that experience. And I think she, Ellis wanted to give her that experience going into the World Cup. Yeah. And given what we saw at the World Cup, you know, you can't really argue with that strategy. But now she's got that experience. She's got that, you know, she's got that star, right, on her, on her jersey. And so I think that you can uh, give some attention, some experience to some other goalkeepers and not have it, not have it ding, uh, you know, not have it ding there. You yeah, she's not, she's not going to lose that experience. Right. So, all right. right, so let's look, I want to ask you a couple wrap-up questions here uh, as we cruise into 2020, baby. Folks, stay tuned. We got peeps coming for you, our end of the year sewed, um, and it's going to be a, 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 a biggie. Uh, we had a whole lot went down in 2019. But as we build up to that, um, Kwame, when you look back on this year, the year of 2019, how will you remember uh, what happened for this team? Um, I will remember... Yeah, is there an image? Is there a certain feel, a certain game you watched, a certain memory? Well, I've watched so much of this team this past year. Uh, I think that... The image that stands out for me, maybe because I've watched it in slow-mo several times, is Rose Lavelle's goal against yeah. the Netherlands uh, to seal to seal that victory. Uh, I mean, you know, there are so many, there are so many moments, uh, and there are so there's so many outstanding individual performances and team performances, performances and key passes. I think that's the moment I'll remember because I think it was the moment that crystallized that this is a team, this is the best team in the world, but also that this is a team on the rise. Like simultaneously, we're the best in the world and we're also on the rise. Like that was Rose Lavelle stepping to the fore and like announcing herself. at the same time that Megan Rapino is operating is the veteran and operating perhaps better than she ever has. And Carly Lloyd is a veteran and perhaps playing better than she ever has. So it's this mix of everyone coming to a peak and, but also not being, not being satisfied and wanting more and more. Yeah. So I think that's what I'll take away, uh, 
from this year um, mixed in with a lot of like angst and worry on my part <laughs> a lot of, a lot of yeah. uh, time watching the screen sweating bullets and uh, I think uh, and cheering yeah it might not be everyone's favorite memory but I think the teacup celebration is going to stick with me that that's a good one that that is a good one I uh, yeah. I had a good time with that I enjoyed yeah. that a lot all right. Uh, and how about uh, looking forward to the 2020, baby, roaring 20s or whatever? Um, what do you think is going to define this year for this team? I think it's going to be, you know, the Olympics, but how they manage the transition going into the Olympics, um, whether they can change enough without changing too much. Um, and, you know, I don't question the I don't question the unity or the depth of this team um, but I do think that it's been really grueling um, for them yeah. I think it's gonna be a really grueling year uh, this year as well and so uh, how we manage that and I think squad rotation is going to be part of that so yeah um, but I'm I'm really I mean I'm really excited I, I this is the first time this year is, uh, I've always watched the the World Cup and I've always watched a lot of friendlies, but uh, this year was the definitely the most time I was able to watch the NWSL, uh, and so I have a lot more excitement from familiarity in players that are from that that are starting to get more exposure on the national team. Um, I really hadn't had a chance to watch uh, the soccer, um, the, the sort of college women's soccer. Um, and was really be excited to be able to watch some of that uh, this year. Um, I will also mention uh, this is I'm excited in terms of new faces. We won't see her next year, but I probably I would be remiss without mentioning uh, Katarina Macario, hmm. uh, who is maybe not a name that you've heard. So Katarina Macario is a, a Brazilian-born. Uh, American. Um, she moved here at age twelve, I think, um, and is currently just fin is currently a junior at Stanford. She basically just shattered every record. Uh, I think she had like thirty plus goals this year and like fifteen assists from like the sort of number ten uh, <laughs> position playing for Stanford, who just won the national championship. Um, she is phenomenal, um, and she has expressed a desire to play for the U.S. team. Uh, she can't play for the U.S. team, the full national team, uh, until she uh, gets her full citizenship, which won't be until age twenty-three, um, unless you know FIFA does gives her like sort of an exception because she's been here for so long. But when she is able to play for this team. I mean, you're automatically uh, including another outstanding player into that midfield. Like, mm. you know, like, you know, another, another like Rose Lavelle, like level player right now, like at, at, at college. Uh, and so we probably won't see her for a couple of years, but there's a chance that we might actually see her in 2020. Uh, we don't know. But so I'm excited to, to kind of track her. Um, even though she's not allowed to play for the full team, she is being invited into camps. Uh, and so she can come to the camps and, and is already playing with this team. So it's just a matter of time. That's incredible. We're just reloading. That's incredible. I love hearing that. And so, you know, when I, this is more than just a one cycle transition, um, potentially even more than just one coaching change. This has the feel to me going all the way back to the GM hire of uh, Kate Margroff, mm -hmm. it has the feel to me of like a sort of dynastic shift. And, and we're moving into really the next few World Cup cycles of who, are, who we're going to see and what this team is going to look like. Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's probably accurate. I think that um, I, you know, you certainly don't hire a coach um, for this U.S. team without the expectation of winning the World Cup. Um, you know, if this team was not to do well in the Olympics, um, you know, 
uh, he that would not mean the end of his job in the in the same way it didn't mean that for for Jill Ellis. But I think probably yeah, we were expecting to see him at the next World Cup and probably the World Cup you know beyond you know. Um, so it's uh, it's definitely an exciting time. Uh, this is going to be an exciting year to begin. You know, if you're not already sort of fully on board with this team uh, and watching outside of the World Cup, uh, you know, please start. You know, there's there's friendlies coming up, and uh, you want to be prepared. You got to know. You know, if you if you know, you know, and you got to know to know. Um, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm psyched for it. Kwame, any final thoughts here before we sign off and uh, let the peeps go back to their whatever whatever they're doing? So first, uh, you know, this is a big year. Um, next year coming up for the NWSL uh, is a big year. Um, you know, they're coming off the World Cup bounce. Uh, new TV deals, new sponsorship. Um uh, some teams moving around into sp- some soccer-specific stadiums. Uh, Sky Blue, which has been playing in New Jersey, I think, might be moving into Red Bull Arena for next year. Uh, so definitely we want to be supporting them with like per- t- t- ticket purchases, um, you know, season tickets if you can afford it, or, or you know, go to see a game, show that there is, there is interest um, in this sport. Uh, so that's, uh, that's number one. Um, the other is that um, we started off She the Peeps by trying to emphasize other voices, um, voices of women talking about uh, women's soccer. Uh, and uh, we kind of ran out of ones that I was familiar with uh, sort of early on. But there's, um, there's a podcast that I want to mention uh, called The Mixed Zone that's uh, mixed with two X's. Um, the host of that is Jen Cooper, who I think was a former uh, uh, professional women's soccer player. Uh, and she covers um, both the U.S. Uh, women's national team as well as NWSL uh, in pretty good depth. And so um, that's also a podcast that I definitely listen to and you should uh, definitely check out. All right. Sounds good at cheese. You know, I like it when you randomly get a warm day. Uh, in the middle of the winter, it does happen, and it's nice, and it's a nice little uh, reprieve before we go into the the true depths, the true January February depths of what is a northeast winter. I also quite like um, when I realize I have plenty of reusable shopping bags. Thought I didn't. gave gave an actual search for them and found a bunch. Hit that hit up that co-op. Third thing I like co-ops. You know I like co-ops. It's just a nice vibe in there. It's a communal type of thing. But I don't love any of that stuff as much as I love the gnats. Goodbye, people. Goodbye. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people.